Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. A traumatic brain injury, or TBI, can range from a mild concussion to severe damage that leads to death. Though there's limited data, the CDC estimates that up to 5 million people in the U.S. live with a TBI-related disability. While some of the effects are obvious, Dr. Sandeep Vashnavi says some of the more serious symptoms like mood, behavioral, and cognitive changes can easily be overlooked. In terms of mood issues or emotional issues, we certainly see a lot of depression that can be directly related to the areas of the brain that have been impacted by the brain injury. And what is not well understood by a lot of people is that you can actually get to a point of having major depression not because of just environmental factors, but because of physical impacts on the brain. Because there are certain circuits and networks that are important for mood regulation, and if those circuits are impacted by the brain injury, then the brain is not able to regulate its mood properly, and then people can develop depression. So that's a common example. Vashnavi is a cognitive neuroscientist and a faculty network member of the Duke Institute for Brain Sciences at Duke University. He recently co-authored a book called Healing the Traumatized Brain, which dives into the more hidden symptoms of brain injury. Vashnavi says that damage to the two frontal lobes is what typically causes mood and personality changes. The frontal cortex is involved in many of our executive functions, like voluntary movement and expressive language, as well as creativity and emotions. So when there may be damage, especially to the orbital frontal cortex, which is right over the eyes, you can think of it kind of right over here. If there's damage to that part of the brain, which unfortunately is not uncommon in brain injury, then people's personalities can definitely change. They can become more disinhibited. They can be much coarser in their personality, you know, say things that they normally wouldn't say, kind of lose the filter that they used to have in society. That's not uncommon. While it's possible for people to gain abilities after a brain injury, like being able to speak a new language, Vashnavi says that's fairly rare. In most cases, the damage causes negative symptoms because the complex and delicately balanced brain structure has been disrupted. And while all humans share the same brain structure, your personal experiences and genetics have shaped your mind into a complex organ completely custom to you, meaning that some people may develop mood swings after a TBI and others may start having hallucinations. Vashnavi says it's common for people to have a lot of confusion right after a traumatic incident. But what many people don't realize is that these symptoms can also happen months or years later, depending on where the brain was damaged. Oftentimes, we think of the right hemisphere of the brain as being important in terms of reality checking. And so if you have damage to the right hemisphere of the brain, especially the right frontal and temporal areas of the brain, people can develop 
this lack of reality checking. So things that normally would not make sense to them start making sense. For example, some people with TBI develop a capcraw delusion where they believe their loved ones have been replaced with imposters. So one of the things that we think might be going on there is that, let's say a patient is looking at their mother and normally they would have a feeling of familiarity in looking at their mother's face or love or respect or something like that. And they see their mother after a brain injury to the right hemisphere of the brain, and they don't have those feelings. So again, like I said, the brain loves to make up a narrative. It has to explain things. So why is this happening? Well, the brain may come up with this narrative. Well, I'm not having that sensation. I'm not feeling what I should be feeling with my mother because maybe it's not my mother. Maybe it's actually an imposter. These situations usually develop over time, and they're not always permanent. Since each brain is different, each recovery story will be two. Vashnavi says it's important to remember that these behavioral changes aren't necessarily the patient's fault. They're a product of brain damage. When people have a mental health problem, be it due to a brain injury or some other factor, ultimately it's the brain that is dysfunctional. There are circuits or networks in the brain that are dysfunctional. And so we don't have that kind of problem with, let's say, a person has a heart problem. You know, we say, oh, it's their heart that is the problem. It's not them. But when we deal with um, neuropsychiatric syndromes or mental health issues, oftentimes people kind of place it on the person as opposed to the brain is dysfunctional. Which has led to the unfortunate stigmas surrounding mental health. However, that's not to say that behavioral issues are acceptable. Even though the patient isn't in control of these changes, they're still responsible for their actions and how they affect other people around them. I mean, it's one thing to understand the cause of the behavior changes, you know, because of the brain injury. It's another thing to not do anything about it. I mean, so it is important to manage that behavior. And oftentimes, depending on the severity of the brain injury, if it's a more severe brain injury, you're not going to be able to necessarily explain to the person, okay, yeah, I need you to change your behavior. It's really through your behavior as a loved one. What do you attend to? What don't you attend to? How do you respond to what the brain injured person is doing? In addition to these individual practices, therapies such as cognitive behavioral therapy can be extremely helpful. Sometimes a TBI patient may not even realize how drastically their behavior has changed. Vashnavi says another important factor in healing from TBI is something many people don't think about, our nutrition. Scientists are just starting to figure out what kinds of nutrients will support or hurt our brain health. The way I would look at it is really in terms of inflammation. You can have pro-inflammatory diets, you can have anti-inflammatory diets. And we know for brain health in general, having an anti-inflammatory diet like a Mediterranean diet or a nutritarian diet, those kinds of diets are quite good in terms of optimizing our brain health. Which means that after experiencing a brain injury, we should focus on eating nutrients like omega-3 fatty acids and B-complex vitamins. These can be found in meat, fish, milk products, nuts, and seeds. On the other hand, the flip side of this is that if you have a really poor diet in terms of having a lot of simple carbohydrates, high fats, what we call the SAD, the standard American diet, or also known as the SAD diet, because it makes you sad, makes you depressed. That's not good. That's not good for the brain. So because those things actually can lead to more inflammatory sort of cascades in the brain. That's not good for the rest of your body, obviously, as well. But we do know what's good for your heart is good for your brain and vice versa. So if you have a diet that is not a good diet for your heart, it's probably not a good diet for your brain either. 
This synergy also extends to other practices, such as meditation. Vashnavi says we have a ton of data that shows how the brain changes with consistent meditation. And they've actually shown that as people meditate, they can have more coherence in their brain, meaning that their brain waves are lined up. They're more in alignment across the brain. What that translates to is basically better brain efficiency. You know, when you're dealing with a brain injury, and even outside of a brain injury, if you're just trying to optimize your brain health, you got to take it in a very consistent way and be persistent about it, as opposed to meditating here once in a while. That's probably not going to do all that much for you. It's like exercise, right? I mean, if you're going to show up and exercise once a year or something, that's probably not going to do anything. So you need that consistency and persistence. Same thing with meditation. Medicine, nutrition, and meditation can help us heal from a traumatic brain injury because our minds have neuroplasticity. Scientists used to think that after a certain age, our brains become a static organ. However, we're starting to learn that's not actually true. It's true that children do have a much more flexible brain than adults. That's why it's easier to learn a new language as a kid than as an adult. So that's true. But we're learning all the time as adults. You know, every time we're reading or seeing a lecture, whatever it may be, we're learning. And every time we learn, the brain is changing. So that's an example of neuroplasticity. And so we understand now that as the brain changes in a good way or in a bad way, I mean, ultimately, there are differences that people are going to see over time in their brain. I mean, you're never going to have a static brain. There's no brain that is completely the same throughout life. And that's because of experiences because of the experiences that we undergo. So everything that happens to us or our loved ones literally changes our brain. Neuroplasticity can be positively utilized through behavioral techniques like stress management and meditation. These strategies help the brain to heal and compensate for the damaged parts without creating negative symptoms. Psychedelics are currently being studied for their ability to increase neuroplasticity, but Vashnavi is really excited about a new therapy for brain injury. Researchers are on the cusp of developing a brain stimulation technology called transcranial magnetic stimulation, or TMS, to treat patients with TBI. It's already used to treat conditions like OCD and migraines, but Vashnavi believes it will revolutionize treatment for traumatic brain injury. There are some studies that have been positive with brain injury, like traumatic brain injury in particular, and TMS. Not all studies have been positive, so it's something that's sort of still in development. But I think it's very exciting because it's really getting at kind of the, I think, the core problem that people with brain injury have is that it's not necessarily just one part of the brain that's damaged that's the problem. It's really that that part of the brain is the node in a network in the brain, and you're ultimately causing damage to that entire network. So how do you fix that network? Well, medications certainly can help, but they are at a different level. That's at a chemical level. Here, we're dealing with sort of a network level. And what can work best with a network level is treatments like TMS, because with TMS, we're using magnetic pulses that go right through the scalp, right into the brain, and induce changes electrically in the brain. Researchers hope TMS will be able to change the electrical parts of the brain and cause neurons to fire and communicate more with each other. There's a saying in neuroscience that neurons that fire together wire together. So as you stimulate using magnetic pulses, causing electrical changes, as they cause neurons to fire over and over and over again, ultimately they form more connections, they wire together. So this is ultimately, I think, going to be a way of really rehabbing the brain because we know the networks that are damaged due to the brain injury, we can then use TMS to specifically hone in on those networks and then cause those networks to be repaired by causing actual more connections physical to be formed. 
So it's really, I think, a very exciting possibility for brain injury. And um, we're kind of right at the beginning of a revolution, I think. Vashnavi's book, Healing the Traumatized Brain, is available now wherever books are sold. You can find more information about Dr. Sandeep Vashnavi and all of our guests on our website, radiohealthjournal.org. Our writer-producer is Kristen Farah. Our executive producer is Amira Zaveri. I'm Elizabeth Westfield. Coming up next week on Radio Health Journal. So it's a really interesting evolutionary phenomenon. It's like one copy of the gene is protective and two copies are fatal. The deadly difference between sickle cell trait and sickle cell disease. Then why hasn't evolution protected us from all diseases? So evolution is trying to do the best that it can within some really strong constraints. All that and more this week on Radio Health Journal. I'm Nancy Benson, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy listening to Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show, Viewpoints, which covers a wide array of topics from education to history to the environment. Here's a preview of what they're covering this week on Viewpoints. That was a weird decision to drink an animal's milk. Ever think about who was the first person to drink a glass of cow's milk? We take a look at the many firsts in history. Then, we're moving away from kind of mainstream news to partisan news. You know, the internet is becoming less and less reliable than it was even a few years ago. New technology is aiding in the rise of conspiracy theories and misinformation. How do we navigate this new media landscape? I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. And that's Radio Health Journal for this week. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more. And check Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify for a library of past programs. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and information about our guests at RadioHealthJournal.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Radio Health Journal.